0: Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs.
1: The Danny Mac Show with BK, podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Hey, the weekend is here and welcome in. It is the Danny Mac show on a Friday here on 101 ESPN. We're delighted that uh, you have joined us. BK is with us. He is out at Centene. I'm in the studios of 101 ESPN. Nick Leva will be our guest. Nick Leva was a coach for many good teams here in St. Louis and looking forward to visiting with nick but first i gotta say good morning to tanner and good morning to bk bk what's going on out there at centine dan what's good man how you doing today uh we're doing well i'm glad to see that everything is working splendidly out there and i won't be flying solo today this is great
0: yeah, you know, I figured things out. Last time, I completely messed it up. I just wanted a day off, let's be honest. And I was able to make that happen. And this time, I have decided I am prepared and ready to work with you, Dan. A little bird told me that somebody didn't hit the on button the over The on
1: button. Yeah, did, did you see the on button there, BK? I
0: found it today. Again, last week, I just really wasn't feeling it, Dan. It was the day <laughs> after my COVID shot.
1: I was a little tired,
0: and I decided to take a day.
1: Uh, we just had a really nice text. This is from 636 636- to say that was probably the best interview I've heard in the history of Carricker and Smallman. We just had Walt Jockety on. I don't know if you were listening uh, BK, but that was fun to uh, visit with the former general manager of the Cardinals who, boy, he pulled off some big deals and we had quite a run here in St. Louis with Walt at the helm.
0: I always like talking to the guys that have constructed championship-level teams, Dan, because as much as the game has changed, and it certainly has, and I know you guys got into that with Walt Jockety about some of the changes he would like to see to kind of get it back to where it once was, but the themes are still the same, right? We sometimes talk about the super teams, like the Dodgers, the Padres, the Yankees of yesteryear. Like, This has been happening for a while now. The Yankees in the 90s didn't just randomly happen. They were built through a really good farm system and then supplementing that with incredible talent. Same thing is true for the Cardinals in the early 2000s or the Giants in the mid-2010s. Like any of these teams that have gone on sustained runs, it's basically been a similar formula. And so when you hear from a guy like Walt Jockety, I'm always curious to hear what he has to say about uh, team building.
1: Well, the Cardinals um, are going to get a little healthier tonight. Tyler O'Neill. So the way that I look at it, BK, is that Tyler O'Neill against a right-hander tonight, Sonny Gray against the lefty KK of St. Louis. I would imagine the lineup would feature Tyler O'Neill in left, Dylan Carlson in center. In right, it'll be Justin Williams, and then you can move Tommy Edmond to second base. That's what I would envision, and you're going to give these guys a run and see what they can do.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, and I think that's the way that I would construct it right now. Dan, I've been doing some deep dives on Matt Carpenter over the last couple of days. I mean, we've been doing deep dives on Matt Carpenter for, you know, since like 2019 now, but this year has been so strange for him in that you do have those underlying numbers that would suggest that things should be going better than they are for him. But the more that I read about this, the more informed that I become on the subject with the exit velocities, the barrel percentages, pulling versus going opposite field, the x ex- or the uh, uh, the launch angles—all of these different things that we hear, right? The buzzwords nowadays in modern baseball. It seems like even though he's hitting the ball hard, Dan, he's just not quite hitting it the right way. So the problem for him—and again, this is according to all the things that I'm reading—is that. The thing that we used to always crush Matt Carpenter about, which is pulling the ball too often, he should be doing that more now. Because when you hit the ball hard the way that he has, you're more likely to have those drop if you're pulling the ball. So that's part of the issue for him. Part of the issue is these new baseballs that don't quite have the same lift, and so he's not getting the same carry, and they're not going for homers. Now they're going to the warning track, and it becomes warning track power. So all of these different things have kind of collided into one uh, cascading issue that is the Matt Carpenter offense. And so when you have all of these things combining and he goes three for 27 in his opportunity with Tyler O'Neill out of the lineup, I think the clear and obvious decision here is Tyler O'Neill goes into the lineup. Matt Carpenter comes out of it because O'Neill has actually been better in his career against right-handed pitching. So I think he goes out there tonight and continues to do so moving forward.
1: Tanner's about to lose it. Go ahead, Tanner. I mean, I, I'm just watching your reaction to all this. Go ahead. BK
0: man, you really
1: got into it last night to figure out all this carpenter stuff. Going the other way, ball lift.
0: Was the grass a factor too? Was that in the article? I just couldn't. They know. didn't say they didn't say anything about the grass being an issue for him, no, but um, basically everything else was taken into account. Again, I've read like three deep dives on what has gone wrong with Matt Carpenter. And that's the conclusion that I've come to. I got that when you said ball lift, and then I was like, "Yep, <laughs> he's really dove into this one." Dan, have you? What's
1: your take on this whole thing? Hit them where they ain't. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I look. I, I can look at barrel percentage. I can look at exit velocity. I can look at all those things, and they are they are numbers that can help spin a narrative. But I also look at: Are you getting on base? And are you hitting? And the answer has been no. So today, Matt Carpenter in my lineup would not be in my lineup. And they've given him a significant run. And you're 10% through the, uh, the season. And uh, I, w- I want the best from Matt Carpenter. I want to see him hit. I want to see him play well. I want to see him get a, uh, on a hot streak if, they, if that would happen. But I also have to see results. So that's where I'm at.
0: I'm with you. And they haven't been there so far this year. They were not there last year. They were not there for a decent portion of 2019. Like, eventually, the sample size is big enough that when you've got another option that inserts itself into the equation, and that's what Tyler O'Neill is, he gives you options, I think you got to go with him.
1: Okay, so some of the numbers right now for the Cardinals, the options that they had since the O'Neill injury. Austin Dean went 5 for 15. Dylan Carlson good little run here 10 for 35 that's a 286 average that's fine seven walks two doubles two triples like that tommy Edman, batting above 300 and that's 302 justin williams 290 since o'neill went out and matt carpenter three for 27 so when you look at those numbers and you're still trying to figure out what you have in williams o'neill bader uh lane thomas all these guys it's so early in the season but this is the time to find out and I I would rather see Carpenter coming off the bench as a left-handed pinch hitter. And at this point, it's been a tough run. There's no other way to put it. And so I'm going with the other guys. That's where I'm at right now.
0: I am as well. Um, And the, 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 the hesitancy that I have here, Dan, is just I'm trying to gauge where the Cardinals are at on this. Because it's one thing for me to say, I would go ahead and move forward with the young guys. I would go with the outfielders. It's another thing entirely for the Cardinals to do that. When they have $20 million invested and they have been looking at these underlying numbers and stating these to the public. They have been citing them ad nauseum to many Cardinals fans' frustrations. Do you just give up on that now? I know maybe you do it maybe what you do Dan is you kind of you split the baby right you go with tonight Tyler O'Neill gets a start tomorrow it's a left-hander so you're not going to see Matt Carpenter and that one to start things off but maybe Sunday you start Matt Carpenter but then like if Tyler O'Neill hits a homer tonight do you just sit him on Sunday I think the answer is probably no so it, it becomes a really difficult situation for Mike Schilt I don't envy him
1: John Moselock on the outfield and what he sees. The one thing, early takeaway right now is is I still think our
2: outfield is going to be impactful. I think uh, you know, our, our infield's talented. I think our bullpen's talented. And I think our starting pitching will, will catch its groove.
1: So, you know, it's early. Essentially what he's saying is it's early. You know, we're 10% through <clears throat> the season and you got to let things play out. Now, I will say this is that the signs with the pitching are much better coming off that uh, recent road trip in the last three games, and that will settle a lot of things. Remember last year, four was the magic number. You got to four runs, got a good chance to win because your pitching keeps you in that. So with the return of KK, someone else goes to the bullpen. When you get Oviedo in there, I'm, I'm really excited to watch him. I think you have to be encouraged with what you saw with Carlos Martinez in his last start. Jack Flaherty while not going deep into games, has been effective in games. So, Wainwright strikes out 10 in his last start. Those are the things that you have to look at and say, maybe this is how we're going to have to win games. We're going to have to outpitch a lot of people, and they are set up to do that. Hasn't shown itself in the first 10% of the season. I get it. It's been hit and miss. But I think over the course of 162... And maybe I'm wrong. It'll all play out, but that's where I think they're going to win a lot of games.
0: No, I totally agree with you, Dan. And I think it all starts with the pitcher that's on the mound for the Cardinals tonight, and that's KK. We've seen Adam Wainwright pitch much better in his last three starts. Same thing goes for Jack Flaherty. Carlos Martinez, outside of really one blow-up inning, has been pretty solid for the Cardinals this year. I think he's more or less been what you hoped that he would be. The guy that I'm really looking forward to watching this weekend is KK, though, because he came off the IL, he had that first start, and it was fine, I guess. It was okay, but he did not give you the depth that you would have liked, and I would imagine a lot of that is just because he's coming off of the IL. You want to be careful with him. I want to see what he can give you now. Can he get up to six, seven innings for you? Can he give you the depth that we've seen from Wayno and Flaherty in their recent starts? That's what they're going to need for him. I think he, for me, is the swing pitcher now in the rotation. They need him to hit where they thought he was going to be. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast
1: powered by I Promise. Danny Mac Show on a Friday with BK. <clears throat> was really looking forward to this and the opportunity to visit with Nick Leva. He was a part of Whitey Herzog's coaching staff here in St. Louis in the mid '80s, and that was such a fun time of baseball. He's been a baseball manager. Did that with the Phillies. Hey, Nick, uh, great to hear your voice. And where do we find you and have the chance to talk to you? Where, where are you at right now?
2: Well, I'm in uh, Mesa, Arizona. Uh, after 44 years of baseball. On January 1st, I finally uh, pretty much, I don't know if I called it a, a career or what, because I know I'm going to get antsy somewhere down the line again and want to get back in it.
1: Absolutely. When you reflect, uh, and I really wanted to get you on to talk about some of these 80s teams and then a little bit about, you know, what's going on with the game today, but you reflect on those teams uh, in the 1980s. From a coaching perspective, Willie, Ozzie, Vince, Tommy Hurd, Jack Clark, how much fun were those teams? Even being just the coach on that team and seeing those guys do what they did every day.
2: Well, coaching, <clears throat> coaching was was so simple for me in particular in those days because we had a bunch of we had a group there that pretty much coached themselves. Uh, that's how that's how how good they were. You know what are you going to tell Ozzy? What are you going to tell Terry Pendleton, Tommy Hur? Like you said, Willie McGee, those type of guys. Those guys were already baseball players. They knew how to play the game. And because of Whitey, they gave it 110% every time they stepped on the field. That's what he demanded. And out of the respect for the man, these guys gave it to him and came out and played hard on a a daily basis.
0: Nick, we talked with uh, another former colleague of yours as well a couple of weeks ago, and he said that Whitey was the best baseball man that he's ever been around. What was it like to be on his staff and just to be able to talk ball with Whitey on a day-to-day basis?
2: Well, you learn something new every single day. You really did. Uh, just the way he did things, you know, he liked to do things, but he let you, but he shared them with you. Um, you know, I give you, I give you a great example. Nowadays they have this, all these analytics that uh, you know, you, put, you punch a key on your keyboard, and uh, you can see these guys in their back pocket. They got a defensive chart or sheet in their back pocket. Whenever a hitter comes up, they take it out, they look at it to see where they want it, where they want to. Uh, position themselves. Whitey had this sheet in his head. It was amazing. He, uh, <laughs> he charted his own game every single day, uh, and I asked him one day, I said, Whitey, can I help you do that? He says, I appreciate you offering. He says, but by me doing it, it helps me understand it, and it helps me remember it. So he had this in his head. Um, I remember we were we were in the, in the World Series uh, against uh, Minnesota, and I'm sitting there next to him. I was basically a third-base coach, but also helped him out in the dugout. And uh, he says, Nick, get, uh, get Pendleton over on the, uh, on the line here. I think Gary Gaetti was hitting. And uh, I said, well, why did the charts say well, you're, you're, we went over the game plan? Uh, you wanted him in the hole. He says, yeah, just go ahead and put him over. Sure enough, he hits a bullet down the third-base line, and Terry Pendleton is, is sitting right there. And he says that all had to do with the pitcher that was on the mound, uh, the way he was throwing, and the way Gary was swinging the bat. So, you know, that's that's the type of, of, of mind that, that Whitey Herzog had. Uh, he was always uh, one of those guys that studied the game. He was learning something every day, and he was sharing it with his coaches.
1: Nick, did you ever give uh, a sign to steal, or did everybody just have the green light back then with those guys? And I'm serious about that question.
2: Well, the only thing that I gave was a stop sign. <laughs> <laughs> so that that, uh, that pretty much answers guys, it. Yeah, Whitey gave those guys the green light, uh, especially a guy like uh, Vince Coleman. But a lot of times, uh, in certain situations, Whitey didn't want uh, 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 Vince to run. I mean, he was here. We are. He's got a runner on second base, nobody out, and Vince is just getting off, getting off. He wants to steal third. But why still third? He's going to score on a base hit anyway. So his speed. Uh, so Whitey would give me the stop sign, and I'd give it to Vince, and Vince would give me a dirty look. And out of the respect for Whitey, sometimes I'd have to point to the dugout and said, it didn't
0: come from me. No,
1: it
2: came from that dugout over there.
0: But they understood. They understood. Nick, sometimes I look back at a, a guy like Vince Coleman, and you look at the early years that he had. I mean. 85 110 steals 86 107 steals 87 109 steals why don't we see stuff like that anymore in today's game do you think
2: well you know one of the things is I think they today's game is, is more about the long ball you know the launch angle they there uh, you know I, I I do a lot of reading on these analytics stuff and you know the the, the hitting coaches and the analytics are more about about your swing being more so on a, on a on a on a launch angle and and you know the the home run is coming into play a whole lot more than it did in those days. You know, you got to remember we played at Bush Stadium, at the old Bush Stadium, and there wasn't a whole lot of home runs hitting that ballpark. I think Jack Jack Clark led our team with, with 20 or, or 20 in the low 20s and that and that at the time was a lot and that was Jack Clark. Nobody else was even close. I mean, Tommy Her hit uh I believe he hit eight home runs one year and drove in, uh, you know, like 105 runs, which goes to show you what what speed can do. Vince would get on, Ozzy would get he'd steal second, Ozzy get him to third, and Tommy would hit a um, he'd hit a sacrifice fly or a ground ball up the middle, and we have a run and he and he get an RBI. So that's what that's the way the game was played back then. The game is definitely played a little bit different, and I think that's where that's where we're at with that.
1: You also had great defensive clubs, which everybody talks about the speed, and rightfully so, with Vince and Willie and Ozzie and Terry and Tommy. All those guys could run. But then you had Ozzie, maybe the best, I think, the best defensive shortstop. You had Pendleton, who could pick it with anybody. You had Tommy. You had Jack Clark. uh, You had Willie in center. I mean, the defensive... Part of the game, too, for the Cardinals on the turf at a big ballpark, Nick. And Nick Lava is our guest. Do you think that gets overlooked when you look back at those great 80s teams?
2: Well, it gets overlooked by a lot of of people, but it never got overlooked by our club. Uh, One of the things that that we did, and, you know, people don't realize it, when we went out and got a a pitcher or when we drafted a pitcher, we drafted and we went out and traded for, for ground ball pitchers. I mean, we went out and got John Tudor. What did John Tudor do? He gave up ground balls. Why did we Why did we get a guy like John Tudor? Because we knew that we could defend it with Ozzie on the left side and Terry Pendleton on the left side, and John Tudor on the top of his game giving up ground balls. Those were outs, uh, and that's what one of the things that people don't realize. We built our ball club around our, our our home ball club, you know, our field. Excuse me, our home field, and that was getting that ground ball because we knew we could defend it.
0: Nick, do you look back on, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the 85 rotation right now, and you mentioned Tudor. You also had Andujar and Cox as well. All of them pitched at least 240 innings that year. They all had at least 10 complete games where they started and finished the game. We just don't see that anymore in today's game. Do you miss being able to watch the starting pitcher that really, really mattered in that way? Yeah, I really
2: do. But, you know, nowadays it's it's more of a, you know, the – uh, the, I think organizations are, are concerned about number of pitches more than they are innings pitched. I mean, I, was, well, I forget which game I was watching yesterday on TV. The guy had, the guy had four and two-thirds innings. He needs one more out and, and possibly have a chance at a victory, and they take him out of the game. And if that was me, I'd, I'd be mad. And you could tell by the look on the face on as the, the pitcher walked off the mound. Man, Skipper, give me one more hitter. You know, let me try to get this guy out. Because you know wins the wins nowadays is money,
1: is not that the truth and, uh,
2: and and that's uh that's what that's all about, but you know what it's 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 amazing how nowadays the pitchers are going to be at around a hundred ninety to hundred pitches by the fifth inning if you if you notice it, I would have to say an average an average starter other than the guys like the elite guys like Scherzer and Gary Cole and those type of guys. They're are out of those games at about hundred pitches. Uh, just you know, most mostly a lot of times it's 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 for safety reasons too. They don't want to overload these guys, and they want them want them to be able to last. Uh, you know, the full five and a half six months that they they need to have them for, especially when it comes late in September and October.
1: Nick, do you have a favorite men, uh, memory from those '80s teams? '85, '87, the great game at Shea with Pendleton hitting the home run off of Roger McDowell. Uh, go crazy, whatever it may be. Is there a favorite memory that comes to mind for you? Yeah, you know, it was.
2: It, was, it's, it always seems to be in a in the playoffs. You know, I remember Jack Jack Clark uh, hitting that uh, hitting that long home run. Uh, I think it was off Nienfuer. It was. And I remember looking into left field and I knew the ball was gone and Pedro Guerrero slamming his glove on the ground and never even moved. I thought that was I thought that was <laughs> hilarious to watch that, but, uh, you know, it's just the way we played, uh, you know, Jack Clark running over Mike Sosha at home plate. Uh, and that goes to show you, you know, we weren't dirty, but we played the game the way the game was supposed to be played. And that was, you know, take, take what they give you, you know, Mike Sosha. We knew from scouting reports that he blocked the plate and he blocked it early. So, uh, you know, we said, hey, if, if he's blocking a plate early, he doesn't have the ball. You have the right. You have the right to run him over. You know, nowadays, the rules have changed. Uh, back then, you can run him over. And sure enough, next thing I know is uh, Mike Sosa is laying on the on-deck circle because that's
0: Nick- how hard Jack hit him. Nick, tonight the Cardinals are taking on the Reds. And the last time these two teams met, there was a benches clearing. I'm not going to say a brawl because it wasn't that, but a situation between the two teams. And it feels to me, at least, like this has the potential to be a little bit of a rivalry, a competitive rivalry between these two teams this year. Do you have a favorite rivalry from that era of Cardinals baseball, whether it be a moment or just a team that every time you guys went up against, it was intense in a way that was special from your time here in St. Louis?
2: Yeah, well besides the Cubs cuz the Cubs are always you can't even you can forget them. They're a robbery. They're a robbery no matter what. Of course. But I think one of the biggest robberies was the San Francisco Giants. It always seemed like there was something was going to happen. Uh, you know, and 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 we were going to be mad at each other, you know, Jeffrey Leonard hitting a home run and running running around the bases with with one of his arms slapping and you know, guys would guys would think that that, that was showing us up and I think one day I think I think Bob Force uh proved that he thought he was that he was uh showing us up when he stuck one in his ribs. <laughs>
1: but, oh yeah, he put you know, it he, in his ribs. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't try to hurt anybody. You just
2: want you just want respect. And that's all that uh that the game demands and uh you know, and you give us respect, we'll give you respect.
1: You know, you shocked me with your answer. I thought it could be the Giants, but I thought for sure you're going with the Mets, Nick.
2: Well, yeah, you know, there that was just such a rivalry, too, uh, you know, and, and it was seemed like it was always who's going to who's going to win the pennant. I mean, who's going to win our division, us or the Mets? But uh, you know, it just seemed like uh, you know, two very good ball clubs, two very well coached ball ball clubs, and two very talented ball clubs. But uh, I think it was more of a you know, it was that was a, a respectful series where where the where the Giants were were you know the the, the respect was there, but it was, seemed like there was always something was going to happen of breaking up of a double play and people get mad a home run where people show each other up show each other up running around the bases and you know there really isn't any any it doesn't do any good in, the, in this in game to show other people up because sooner or later karma karma will come back and haunt you
0: Nick, my final question that I have for you, if I said, Nick, you have a ticket and you can go to any baseball game in America to watch one player, and this will get you the price of admission to watch that player, who's the guy that you're going to see in today's game? Who's the guy that you want to go watch because you, you have to be at the ballpark to be able to take in, whether it be his defense, his at-bats, his pitching, whatever it may be?
2: Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of reading going on right now and a lot of, a lot of games on the baseball channel channel that are coming into play but you know i think i think um i, I would love to see two players play in in person as a guerrero uh, i mean vladimir uh, up in uh in toronto and also fernando tatis in san diego i think these are two of the youngest of the the best young young players in the game and they, they seem to do something on a daily basis especially tatis playing that key position at shortstop he's uh he's right in the middle of the game and and you know he's got some offensive ability, so probably those two guys. If I had to pick one, it'd probably Fernando Tatis with the uh, San Diego Padres.
1: And my final question for you is: uh, Was there one play that you remember from Ozzie defensively that you said I may never ever see that thing again? That was unbelievable. Is there one that comes to mind for you, Nick Leva?
2: Well, yeah, you know what, and you see it, you see it rerun a lot is when he he went, he went. there was a pop-up between him and Kurt Ford who yep. was in left field. Ozzie goes flying back. Kirk uh, Ford comes running in. Ozzy dives. Uh, uh, Ford dives, and I said, oh boy, here we go. Somebody's going to get hurt. But they knew in talking with each other uh, long before that happened, that Ozzie dives low and the outfielder dives high. And sure enough, that's what happened. Ozzy catches the ball and, and it's, it's an out. But the way it looked, it looked like they went went over the top of each other, and how they didn't collide. But that was that was one of the things that they had. Ozzy would go would dive low, and and the outfielder, no matter who it was, would dive high, and that's the way we prevented injuries.
1: Absolutely. Hey Nick, it's great to hear your voice. I know the fans in St. Louis really enjoyed this, uh, and thanks for doing this. Really appreciate your time.
2: Well, I appreciate you having me on, and you know I want those fans in St. Louis to know that. They're they're probably in my mind the best in all of baseball, and I've I've been with some good organizations, and but I, it always comes back to uh, to the St. Louis Cardinals and the fans that they had there. You know, you, you see a sea of red no matter where you go, especially when we were in the playoffs. You walk into the grocery stores and the checkers, the the people bagging groceries, and you know everybody's dressed in red and and just a great fan base. And I congratulate the city of St. Louis for that.
1: You got it. Hey, thanks, Nick. We appreciate it. And thanks for the kind words. I know our fans really do appreciate that. No problem. Uh, Thank you for having me. You got it. That's Nick Leva. He was a former coach for uh, Whitey Herzog. And I also think of when Jack Clark, he was talking about Pete Guerrero, Pedro throwing the glove down in left field, which is funny. It's like watching a Little League moment where Jack hits the home run. He's yelling at, uh, and I can't say the words that he used on, because it was, There's some profanity there that he he says to his own bench... Any high fives? I mean, these guys are high five. I was telling you yesterday, BK. Remember that I said Nick Lave, I just remembers so fondly of the hard high fives and so excited how he was. And he had a front row seat, man, to watch one of the the great eras of Cardinal baseball, and to sit next to one of the great minds that's ever been in a dugout and still sharp his attack today, watching baseball religiously. And that's Whitey Herzog. That was fun. That was a fun visit.
0: It was, and I just. Man, I I wish I could have been around to watch those teams on a day-to-day basis, Dan, because you look back on whether it be the numbers or the highlights or the memories that people that have been here for 40 years, like yourself, Dan, um, that were able to watch that team, it was special. Those teams, uh, really, that era of Cardinals baseball, it was special. And, God, like Vince Coleman just... A hundred steals in three straight years? Yeah. that that will. I, I don't think that we're ever going to see that again. In I don't baseball. think so. And I, I wish we would because, man, that would be fun.
1: Well, the other thing that it did, and I know people have heard this before, but I was thinking about this when we had Nick Laiva on, and I, I wish I would have asked him this, and I meant to ask him this. I was thinking about it yesterday, is the fact that when you had Coleman – You had McGee, you had Ozzie, and others that would steal. I mean, if you face the Cardinals, you know it was going to be, at that time, an uncomfortable series. But what it did to the pitcher on the mound, and I think about that today, in today's game, the threat of the stolen base really isn't there. So where where is their total concentration for the most part? Yeah, are they keeping an eye on the runner? Yeah, of course they are. But we have times now that will tell you, you're 1-3 to the plate, you're above or below – that's going to give you an idea of what the pitcher has to get to in his delivery to the plate when he starts. When it hits the glove, one three. If it adds up to that, if you're above it and you know the pop times, you know the throws of the catcher. You're going to steal. And the thing is, is what that does is it it, it just takes the concentration to an extent away from the hitter. So what what happens? Mistakes. What happens? Ball in play. What happens? We've got action. That's what we need in the game, and stolen bases have a residual effect not only of the action of the steal, but what it means to what happens, the the, the trickle-down effect of how that pitcher uh, uh, has to go after a hitter. And unfortunately, we just don't see that today. And if you watch a guy that's going to steal today, you'll see it. You'll see the flashes of what we had in years past. His mind is not fully focused on the hitter. And what do we see? A missed spot. Now we get a swing. Now we get a ball in play. That's what we miss.
0: It's action. It's also pressure. And it's not just on the pitcher like you were saying. It's also on the defense because when you get that ball in play, now the double play ball is a little bit tougher to be able to get to. And it's just – I I wish that we could see this more often because with, with teams fa- placing such an emphasis on their offense, on the power – You're getting guys that are playing at second and at third and in the outfield that shouldn't be out there. They're not very good defensively, and they get away with it because there are so few balls that are put in play. And so if I'm a major league general manager and you're telling me, hey, there's going to be over the course of a week, 40 balls that are hit at my second baseman, just pulling that out of thin air, random number, right? And he's probably going to have 30 of them that are routine plays. And there's 10 of them that maybe a really good defender makes, but He's not quite going to get there for those 10, but he'll make five of them, right? Well, then, okay, for five other plays that are probably going to result in singles, I can deal with that guy being at second. But what if, by putting the ball in play more often, I increase that number from 40 balls in play to that player to 60 balls in play to that defender? Well, now it puts more pressure on that guy. It puts more pressure on that defense. You add in the stolen base component of it. It's all about the pressure. It's almost like a full-court defense in basketball where suddenly the opposition just... They don't see it very often, and so they freak out, and so for part of the game, they completely lose their mind, and we just we don't get that often enough in today's game, in my opinion.
1: Fun listening to Nick Leva. BK is at uh, Centene. The Blues. I'm assuming they're going to skate today, or are they not? Yeah, they got the they avalanche now, tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, okay. Tough loss last night. Avalanche again tomorrow. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Right, away we go. Centene, that's where we find the great BK, Brandon Kylie. He's, he's coming up with Alex Ferrario. And we've got Cardinal baseball tonight. The Cardinals trying to get the offense going, maybe get better starts. Mike Schill was on MLB Network Radio yesterday and talked about his Offense.
3: You said to somebody, What do you want your guy to do with the bat in his hand? you would say, You want him to get a good pitch. And then you say, What else after that? Well, you want to put a good swing on the baseball. What after that? You want to hit it hard and hit it on the barrel. What after that? Well, I don't know what else after that there is. <laughs> <laughs> right. <You> know, um, <laughs> I, I just don't, you know. And sometimes you look at something that's complex, which is hard, and that's hitting. And you, you, you drill it down to simplest form. And, and I think that's a pretty simple form and in, in a logical way of looking at it. And um, but the reality is, is that uh, we've done that. And, um, you know, we've really put up some numbers that are ahead of where we've been the last couple of years with a fairly similar group. Absolutely obviously, obviously, the wonderful addition of, of Arenado has helped our helped our club on both sides of the ball. But, you know, we, we looked internally the last couple of years and realized, you know, we haven't done some of those things as well as we'd like. And you look at where elite offenses, um, what elite offenses do, and they they hit the ball hard and they they hit it hit it on the barrel often and, and moved our needle to where we're one of the groups in the baseball that does that the best now. And we feel good about it.
1: Well, that's Mike shield on MLB network. Interesting conversation that he has with them every week. And tell you what, PK it's going to be, uh, I think maybe a tough weekend for hitters potentially. And I would say that on both sides, because tonight I'm expecting KK to be better. Now he went three innings in his last start. It was his debut one inning was poor the other two were fine he was efficient Cardinals face Sonny Gray when Sonny Gray is right this guy is filthy then on Saturday you get the lefty Wade Miley and John Gantt will go for the Cardinals like what I saw from Gantt his last time out Sunday great pitching matchup Castillo and Jack Flaherty which was the opening day assignment for both teams uh, in Cincinnati so I wonder about a few things. The offense on both sides facing the pitching this weekend, that's one. And number two, I'm looking forward to the first time that Nicholas Castellanos with fans in the stands is announced tonight. I think that's going to be fun to hear some of the boos and, you know, the different things that are brought to the table with a rivalry, which is a villain, and right now he would be a villain.
0: And that's what I'm looking forward to most, Dan. We're going to talk about this a little bit coming up on BK and Ferrario. I think Reds Cardinals has a chance to kind of reignite the rivalry that once existed there
1: no brandon phillips but now we got castiano so exactly away we go
0: and you need the villain right cubs cards is always going to be the rivalry no doubt about it that is always there that is a traditional rivalry i think there's two different kinds of rivalries though dan there's the traditional ones that's like college football it's the long-standing history And then there's the competitive rivalries. And the way that I describe that typically is I always hone in on Seahawks versus 49ers in the Pete Carroll versus Jim Harbaugh era, where those two had nothing historically that would suggest they should have been rivalries, but they were at the peak of their powers. And at that time, they went head to head all the time to see who could be at the uh, top of the NFC. And they became a rivalry. Same thing is happening right now with Padres versus Dodgers. I think Reds versus Cardinals, if things continue to escalate the way that they did in the first series, has a chance to be that, not only because there's a villain, but also because these might be the two best teams in the division. Milwaukee's certainly going to have their say in that, but these teams are going to be competing for the top of the division all all season long.
1: Fan says from the 314, I want to boot Castellanos, but it'll probably pump him up. So what do I do? Uh, I think you're going to hear plenty of booze, and I bet he feeds off that. Kind of like Yachty, when he goes to Cincinnati, he is booed every single time he comes to the plate. I don't care if the game is three-two in the ninth, or it's ten-nothing in the ninth. You're going to hear a smattering of booze, even in that ten-nothing game. He's just a villain. It's a great thing. You got to have villains in a rivalry. So we got that with Costianos. Uh, looking forward to your show. The final one of the week with Alex Ferrario. Tanner's going to chime in. He's fired up. He's got some thoughts on the Blues we were talking about. So uh, what do you have coming up?
0: Yeah, the great Alex Ferrario is going to be joining me coming up momentarily, Dan. We've got EJ Raddick of NHL Network coming up at 1130. Brian Price, the former Reds manager, going to join the show coming up at noon. And, of course, we will kick things off with a another tough loss for the Blues last night. we got to talk about my guy Alex Ferrario's optimism for this team.
1: You don't have optimism, I take it.
0: Uh, not a whole lot. However, I don't have optimism for anybody that is competing for the fourth spot in the West Division right now, so yeah. my lack of faith in everybody else might mean that I put faith back into the Blues.
1: So we got to look at this. you got three games in hand with Phoenix. Now, the schedule on paper for the Blues is not a good one. It's, it's a tough one. You've got, again, yep. Colorado two more times starting tomorrow. You can listen to the game right here on 101 ESPN. And then it's one you of get, the
0: five toughest remaining schedules yes. in the sport, according to uh, the guys that do the, that kind of work.
1: Yeah, when you start looking at winning percentages and that mm-hmm. kind of thing of the remaining teams. Uh, and then you go on the road with a back-to-back on the road, both games on the road at Minnesota. So this is not going to be easy. I thought last night, I loved what I saw in the first period. You score on the power play, but, man, when you have that giveaway at the end, that cannot happen. You cannot have that happen. You go in 20 minutes and you have a lead. And your second periods have been problematic anyway. They've been terrible, as a matter of fact. But if you have that one nothing lead, there's something to that. And instead, you're tied 1-1. And it's like that feeling of, uh-oh, here we go again. And it was a bad giveaway, too. Can't have that happen.
0: It was. And you also know, as a Blues fan, like you've got the, the dread of, oh, God, the second period is also coming up. Which has been the downfall for the Blues over the last month. And the second period did not go well for the Blues. They only allowed one goal in the period this time around, but the avalanche were swarming. And you could feel it coming. And then in the third period, they just finished things off. The avalanche is really good. That is a tremendous team. And they do everything well, and they did that last night, despite not having their top goal scorer or their top goaltender. Now you've got two more coming up against them. You've got four coming up against the Wild. Two more coming up against the Golden Knights. This is not this is not an easy remaining schedule. If you're looking for a silver lining, it is that the Coyotes have also been abysmal of late. Other than the one game where they played you head-to-head, they have stunk. And the next team in line is the LA Kings, who also have a little bit of a difficult schedule remaining. So... None of these teams seem to want to make it into the postseason. It's going to basically be somebody that backs in.
1: All right. Looking forward to it. BK, great job this week. Tanner, awesome job. Nick Leva, thanks to him. That was fun today. And we'll talk. Yeah, that was fun. We'll talk to everybody at 10 Monday. Have a great weekend on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Danny Mac show with BK, the podcast powered by I promise.
3: Peloton, let's go this holiday with the right music